All right. What I want you to do first, let's, I'm going to read some scripture with you, uh, and and then we'll, we'll talk about um, about these things. If you are as you're turning to the book of Isaiah, hopefully you're turning there in the 44th chapter. Um, some of you may be familiar with some New Age teachings, some New Age practices and stuff. Much of the New Age will find a lot of its birthing, a modern New Age, uh, find its birthing in a lot of the Eastern mind religions. Uh, if you remember in the 80s, uh, everybody was around in the 80s. Uh, if you remember in the 80s, it, was, it really was a big thing even in America where you, particularly in the, it seemed like the Northwest, they would set up these camps and all these people would run to, 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 to listen to these masters. Okay? Now, as we talk about these two, these two faiths, they do not express themselves in what we would call strict Orthodox doctrine. Matter of fact, they don't want to be tied down to that because they want you to, they want adherents to, to basically, if I can put it this way, pretty much let their mind go in a sense that they might join in with the great mind of the universe. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. So it is very similar to what you might have experienced in, in New Age. And, and many of the New Age teachings you'll find uh, come from these uh, Eastern mind groups. Now, uh, I'm going to close out our time by, by again, reminding you some, some biblical truths. And that's the whole point, is comparative religion. Uh, but I, I want to I read this, and then we're going to go into the Zen Buddhism. Then we'll go into Hinduism. And uh, then we'll close out with some... Some thoughts on what the scripture reminds us of, okay? Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. And he began, this is, this is a, those of you with me through the study of the book of Isaiah, this is one of the most incredible book uh, chapters, and God just sort of really lays it out when it comes to all of this kind of thing. Starting with verse 6, he said, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it, and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people, and the things are coming, and shall come, and the things that are coming, excuse me, and shall come. Let them show these to them. Do not fear, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from, the, from, from that time, and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. We read on. And uh, verse 11 says, Those who make an image, all of them are, look what it says, what are they? Useless. And their, and their precious things shall not profit. They are, not, uh, they are their own witnesses. They, they neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Who would, who would form a God and mold an image that profits him nothing? Surely all his companions would be ashamed. And the workmen, they are mere men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. Now go down to verse 14. We'll read to verse 17. It says it. Talks about this workman. He said, He cuts down cedars for himself and he takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn, first thing, to burn, for he will take some of it to warm himself. Yet he, yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god to work and worship it and he makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it for fire. With, with this half he eats meat. He roasts. 
He roasts the roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest he makes into a god, his carved image. And he falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. And I, I, I hope you see that there's a little bit of... Uh, can I use the word sarcasm by the by the uh, by the prophet there? How incredible um, the incredible way that my, um, uh, people's minds can work. When you don't believe in God, you certainly will believe in anything. So you chop the point that Isaiah said here. They chop down a tree with the same tree that they just chopped down. They they cut up some firewood and with that wood they warm themselves. They cook their meal and they they cook their bread and then they turn right around, have someone fashion out some image and then they bow down and worship the same tree that they just used to warm themselves by and we look at it and say how can anybody that be that incredibly uh, misled but again that's the point that's the point now as we go into these mind what I would call these eastern mind religion that is the point that is the point because what they want their, their adherents to believe is this there is no absolute you can't find absolutes if you think you found an absolute it's not an absolute so we begin with Zen Buddhism. Uh, one of the largest countries where Zen Buddhism is practiced is, is the nation of Japan. Of course, uh, and uh, Tibet, you know, and even in mainland China, although it's not, quote, official, they are doing it there. And you will have even some all the way into India that, that, that are involved in it. Certainly there, there's been a movement in America. It's not as prominent as it used to be, uh, but... but Zen basically teaches that there is no strict orthodoxy. You'll see that in your notes there. Yet they have principles that those who adhere to this practice believe in. So let's let's break this down. And I broke it down into five categories. Okay, what does understanding mean in Zen? Okay. Remember what the Bible said: "My people perish because they have no knowledge." God has revealed himself that we may know him, and not only know him, but we may know truth. Well, Zen teaches this. Zen is at once the knower and the known. Now, if you're looking, have you ever watched Larry King? Have you ever watched any of the shows where they have these, these masters or these teachers of these groups? By the time you get done, you, you want to say this. It's kind of like my philosophy class in college. I had my wife type. Remember typewriters? Anybody remember typewriters? Okay. <laughs> I would have my wife type my, my philosophy pages. Okay. 25 pages, typewritten. Teresa's sitting there typing it, and when she gets done, she says, You didn't say anything. I said, You watch, I'll get an A. Point was, for 25 pages, I went over the same thing several different ways, never came to a conclusion, but just sounded like I was thinking things through. Got an A. If you make a conclusion, then they, then they start attacking what you say. It's the same thing with when, when you talk about Zen. Understanding is something you will never attain. You're always trying to attain that. Okay? You're always trying to ascend. But you can never ascend to where you actually have understanding. It, it goes on to say it is also the factor that, which unites the two in one. It is a way to truth, not the facts about truth. In other words, you can never get to the truth as far as the Zen Buddhists are concerned. One of the teachers, a man by the name of Dr. Suzuki, said, said, when we think we know something, there's something we do not know. That is always a fun way to approach life. You can never, the point is you have to get this, when you talk about Eastern, the Eastern mindset here, you can never have an absolute. 
So you can never really know God, you can never really know truth, you can never really know right, and thus it holds that you can never really know wrong. You can never really know. Right? Strictly, and the last, last little, I'm not going to read all these to you. I give you a lot of them. I'm just touching on some of Strictly speaking, I like this. However, Zen is incommunicable. You know what that means? Nobody knows what it is. I mean, there is no, I, I could not, you cannot sit down and say, every Zen Buddhist believes this. Every Zen Buddhist believes, believes uh, is heading to this or whatever. It cannot be communicated. There are no, again, I'm going to say it again, there are no absolutes. Do you have absolutes as a believer in Christ? I hope you have at least one. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we can go from there with a whole bunch of other absolute truths. Okay? Well, let's look at the authority. Well, it would make sense that if there are no absolutes, there probably are no real authorities. Because what would they be authorities of? Okay. It says here that Zen is Zen is ex hypothesis uh, beyond the intellect. Okay, and coins uh, and the coins of intellect's using such as words and diagrams have no validity. So I couldn't present you a diagram. I couldn't break it down to you. I couldn't break down their. I can't even break down their teachings to you because by doing that and expressing that either verbally, written, or whatever. They have, no, they have no meaning. So the truth is, a, a practitioner of Zen Buddhists could sit in here tonight, and I could tell you all these things, and they would say, doesn't mean a thing. Try to get in a discussion with somebody like that. Try to talk about anything with somebody like that. Okay? Here's what it said. This is crazy if you think about it. I love it. Zen has nothing to teach us in the way of intellectual analysis, nor has it any set doctrines which are imposed on its followers for acceptance. In this respect, Zen is quite chaotic. Probably Zen followers may have set, probably some Zen followers may have set a doctrine, but the point is they would say they didn't get it from Zen Buddhism. They, you may have it, and you may adhere to those things, but you cannot attribute those to the fact that you are a Buddhist. Zen, go, read on that. If someone asks me, what does Zen teach? I would answer, Zen teaches nothing. Whatever teaching there are in Zen, they come out of one's own mind. That's why it's labeled the Eastern mind religion. It comes out of your mind. Which basically would mean that you're, own, you're your own authority. Okay, Zen merely points the way. Unless there is pointing, unless this pointing is teaching, there certainly is nothing in Zen purposely set up as a cardinal doctrine or as its fundamental philosophy. Okay, does everybody understand that? Well, there's really not nothing for you to understand. Okay, yes. We're reading. We're reading this. It's like my mind is confused, yeah. and I'm sure you're already you're moving towards Zen right now. No, okay. Yeah. There, there's some. What what may seem strange to us where we are at, there is something very appealing to this. There's something very appealing in this. You know, I don't have anything that sets over me. I have no authority. All, you know, it's truth is what I say truth is everything is relative and stuff I don't ever have to answer to anybody it's really all about what I think in my own mind 
No one ever checks me out on those things. So there is something very appealing. You know, in, in, in an Old Testament sense, it sounds a lot like what it says in Judges many times. Each man did what was right in their own what? In their own eyes, in their own minds. What they had perceived to be right for them was right for We call it, in America, we call it relativism. Okay? What's right for you is right for you. Okay, and if you if you're actually on that road of ascension, you would not look down on somebody else and say that what's right for them is wrong. You have no authority to call it wrong. The only thing you have authority in is what's in your own mind. Your head will probably hurt before the whole night's over, but okay. All right, what is the nature of God in Zen? That's a good question. I put a word there: pantheism. What's pantheism? Anybody know what pantheism is? Huh? God is in everything. God is in everything. Or the God, not God in the sense that we understand a personal God, but the God force, the God terms you'll use, God consciousness, uh, the matter that makes up the universe would be God. And therefore that matter that makes up the universe, which is in everything, would prove pantheism to be true in their mind because that matter that makes up the universe, which is God, is in everything. So, pantheism is their understanding of God. They have no understanding of a personal God. Now, they may bow to a statue of Buddha. They may even pray to Buddha. But that prayer is not in the sense of... You need to understand. That prayer is not in the sense of a recognition of a personal God by the name of Buddha. Can I get that Western mind set up? It is a prayer to the ascended master, Buddha, who could help them on their road to enlightenment. Do you understand what I just said? The difference there. We pray to God because He's our God. He's our Creator. We worship Him in prayer. We seek Him in prayer. They pray to Buddha because they want to be further enlightened. But not in the sense that they would even call Buddha God. Buddha can assist them in their mind. Yes. Okay. A Buddha can assist them in their mind. It goes on. Nature of, of, for them. Uh, I'll read it a little bit on this, under this. So Zen, Zen's consciousness is a mind made uh, one with life. And even at its lowest, produces a sense of oneness with all humanity. Who having this, who having this needs rules of morality. No rules, no law, no Ten Commandments, no any commandments. Alright? Is then a religion? It is not a religion in the sense of term of popularly understood. And, and again, that's hard for us to deal with because we see the world differently certainly than they do. For Zen, now here's what you need to know. Zen has no God to worship. No ceremonial rites to be observed. No future abode which the dead are destined. And last of all, sin has no soul whose welfare is to be looked after by someone else and whose immorality, immortality excuse me, is a matter of intense concern with some people. Zen is free from all dogma and religious encumbrances. There is no God in Zen. No God in Zen. But here, look, I want you to go down to the last, for, last sentence because I think it's interesting. It said, said, therefore, God is neither denied or insisted upon. Only there is, there is in Zen no such God as been conceived by the Jewish and Christian mind. For the same reason Zen is not a philosophy, Zen is not a religion. So it's kind of incredible. 
Zen neither deny, I neither deny nor confirm that there is a God. But it certainly is no God in the sense of the Jewish heritage or the Christian understanding of that. No personal God for them. Okay? Self-salvation. They would never use that term. That's my term. They would never use that term. Okay? Uh, The first part of that one. In Zen there are no miracles. Supernatural inventions, ways of no refuge. We bear the whole responsibility for our action, and no sage, whomsoever has has to be, whoever he may be, has the right to encroach upon our free will. Okay. Now we are at the same time. These are some incredible sayings. We are at the same time responsible for our own slavery and our own freedom. The, the bonds of our slavery has been forged by ourselves, and only we can break them. And you do that by proper thinking. There's something very Gnostic about Zen Buddhism. Think properly. You find freedom in proper thinking, is what they would say. To the Zen, last part of it said, everything is present. We are real, but we don't even know it. <laughs> And Zen tells us this repeatedly. From the depths of our spirit to the material structures of our physiology, nothing is lacking. It suffices merely to establish a coordination, a functional harmony between the different components of which we are made up. The lack of harmony between the different levels of our being and the very, and the very sense of our division into different compartments which our spirit loves to create come from an essential error of our mental vision. In other words, if your life is not in harmony... You're not thinking properly. Okay? By the way, I'm just going to throw this out to you. There, there are many expressions, I think, in, in the neo-Christian movement of this type of metaphysical thinking. If you think it, that's what you are. They don't, and they don't realize that that's metaphysics. That is my, it's, it's a mind over matter type thing. And if your mind is developed enough, you can think something and you can make it happen. And you can hear this in some of the movements today where they talk about, if you confess it, you can possess it. If you think, some of them go so far to say, don't you ever say, that scared me to death, because you're speaking death to yourself. This is, this is in, the, in, 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 in a lot of the, the movements of, in the church today, and it's right out of Eastern mind thinking. Okay? That the mind has power in that sense. All right. The last thing. Well, you can read, read into that. It talks about sin and evil. Well, if there is no God, if there's no sets of doctrines, if there's no dogma, if, there, if, if you create your own reality by what your mind thinks, then again, the last thing just falls into place. There is no such thing as sin. There's just wrong thinking. There's no sense, no, no such thing as evil because if you read here, you bring anything bad that happens to you upon yourself. So sin and evil do, does not exist. It's wrong thinking. It's incorrect thinking. And if your mind was developed enough, no one could ever touch you. And you, you might see this in some of your, uh, some of your. Um, Karate movies, I don't know how else to describe that. 
where, where by their mind they're moved from one place to another. By their mind, no one can touch them. And, and you'll, you'll see expressions of this sometimes while they'll do what's called fire walks. Have you ever seen the fire walks and stuff? They'll put coals out there and have people walk on it. If they, your mind can make it where your feet will not burn. Walking on glass. All these kinds of things. And it's incredible because there are people that walk across those fire coals and they don't burn their feet. Oh, they did, oh, yeah. Well, I guess there's some that burn their feet. I don't know. One day I was taken to the hospital. Well, I mean, the thing about it is, it, it is a. It's, Zen Buddhism is not a denial like some New Agers of the physical world. It is. It again falls in one the category of more of a metaphysical way of approaching that your mind overcomes the physical. And if you think properly and you think powerful enough, then you can overcome anything in the, in the physical. Okay? And so, again, it is so foreign to what we see as an expression of, of our faith. It's kind, kind of, it's kind of hard for us to grasp it. But, but the definition that it is a mind religion really fits because it really is, you know, in your mind. Okay? Questions or comments? There, there's so much more. I'm just trying to hit some of the basics so you, you get the difference between biblical Christianity and the sin. There is so much. Uh, even, even what Cal has, and he has some paper over there on the different words that are used and what they mean and how they approach those and stuff. And why do they say them over and over and over again? Because they're, they're trying to, actually trying to convince their inner self of the reality. So they become what we call mantras. They become, uh, you know, saying over and over and over again until, until they actually, I don't know how to say, actually almost absorb the words into their own mind and the, and the words become real within themselves. And they change their reality. Okay. Yes, Maxine? Well, I, could, I could see two different results of that. Well, I think I think it could be true. Certainly, it could be true for them. But I think you would find that the serious practitioners of it move into a I don't know another way, but an altered state of mind. I think you're very correct about that. And I I I personally believe that they you know they open themselves up to spirits. You know, I, I think if we try to go down that road, that that would happen to us too. I think, I think, I think, I personally think demons are real. I think they look for opportunities to to come against people, and I think that the the approach of just opening your mind and absorbing anything that comes there is a very dangerous approach. Tim. So, uh, how does this relate to Christians? Well, we're going to get into yoga when we go into Hinduism. But I probably won't make some people happy with that. But uh, I think sometimes we have to ask the question, where do things come from and what's the purpose of them? And, and sometimes we have westernized these things and we have uh, turned them into things that uh, are actually contrary to what they were established to do. Well, let's, look, let's go on to Hinduism. Because I think we'll find answers in that. All right. When you think of Hindus, who do you, what group do you normally think of? Probably India. Probably India. Okay. Uh, but it's very similar to Buddhism. It, it is a mind 
religion. It is, it is this. Uh, uh, there are differences in Hinduism and Buddhism. I don't have time to get out, but you probably heard of the different caste systems within Hinduism. That that they actually there is an ascension. That ascension is not only for the Hindus, where the Buddhists would say that ascension is a spiritual ascension until you are like a Buddha type thing. But clearly in the Hindu system, that system is not only religious in nature or spiritual in nature, but is also, um, I don't want to say it. In, in the real world because if you go to, over to India you have the caste system you have the lowest of the low and you have the different levels where people are in this world not just a spiritual thing but it's also a very social thing and there, you know if you're higher up in the caste system there are, there are certainly benefits and stuff and I don't know if anybody's been to India but India is a very poor it's a, it's a very sad and dark very dark place um, and Again, I would say most of it is a result of their spiritual condition. But they, they do have that caste system and stuff. Now, you move up and down the ladder of the caste system in, in, the, in the Hindu religion. We'll talk about how that happens as we, as we break this down and stuff. Okay? You can ascend in, in Hinduism. You can ascend for a while. You can do something wrong and you can descend. You can move up the ladder and you do something wrong and you can move back down the ladder. Okay? Um, Hinduism, uh, well, let's look at it. Hindu, Hindus' gods. Okay? And uh, in Hinduism, there are gods that they see. There are particular gods that they worship. Matter of fact, there are three. And these are, it's interesting that they are, they are three in one gods, by the, and, the, and that three in one god's name is Brahman. Brahman, okay? Which is, this god is composed of three gods, okay? The first god being Brahma, which is, means to them, the creator. Does the word Brahma mean anything to you guys? It's a bull. And if you go over to India, what is, you know what is sad in India? You know where the mind cults get you? I mean, we, we, it's bad enough what we do here to our unborn. They would not kill a cow. But they would not think twice about killing a baby, especially if that baby was a little girl. Okay? And I'm not just talking about from the abortion stance. I'm talking about post-birth. If the baby does not turn out what what it's supposed to be. Okay? So... They hold the bull to be very sacred, and you get, that's where we get that term for the Brahma bull. Okay? So Brahma to them is the creator. Vishnu, the second one of their, their Godhead, is a preserver. Vishnu. The third is Shiva, and that is the destroyer, which is kind of an interesting thing. You have the creator, the preserver, and the destroyer. And they see them in a, in a, in a pretty much in a triune sense. And you see all this in their in their god Brahman. Okay, Hinduism is it's an interesting faith. It is both polytheistic. These are three gods. Well, we again I said sort of a trinity. We we have we believe in a trinity. They don't hold trinitarian view, of course. Okay, polytheistic, more than one god, and also they are pantheistic, which is similar to the Buddhism, which is that the god spirits and everything. Okay. All right. So they are both of those same. Uh, I've already told you the, the name of the three three Hindu gods. Uh, they also worship the wives. 
of Shiva. Um, they believe that Vishnu has many incarnations. Okay? And they actually believe that some of their, what we would call gurus, we use that term, I don't know if they use that term, but we use that term, that, that, that they go and they sit under and they listen to and they learn how to meditate and they learn how to do all these kind of things. They believe that many of them are actually incarnations of Vishnu, one of their gods. So when they listen to these guys, they're, actually, they're not just listening to a teacher of their religious thing, they're listening to their god, one of their gods. An incarnation of one of their gods. There are literally, though, millions of gods and goddesses in Hinduism. And some people say, and I put the note there, as many as 330 million different gods and goddesses. Alright? Hindu system of salvation. This will go to a little bit of what Tim's question was. Um, Hindus recognize that three possible paths to, and the word that they would use is moksha, or salvation. The first way of works, the first way is a way of works, or what's called karma yoga. And we're going to talk, karmas, let's go down to karmas because it ties in with this, okay? Karma, it's the law, here's what karma means. It is the law that good begets good and bad begets bad. So we use it sometimes, you get bad karma. Some, some websites and stuff, some of the discussion boards, you get karma. You either get good, good karma or bad karma. Their teaching is that karma, if you do good, then you get good karma. If you do bad, you do bad karma. They would go for, so far to say that if you're having trouble in this life, in this existence, it's because of something you did in a former life. You deserve what you get. So, take it as far as you want to. You have abuse taking place. That child was abused because of something that child did in a former life. Karma. You basically get what you deserve. If you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you, do, you get bad. Okay? Which also ties into their teaching we'll talk about of reincarnation. Kelly. I just think that <coughs> karma is thrown around so much. I don't care what you talk about. Workplace situations. And we've Americanized the fact that it's just and I think that's true to answer Tim's question that's the truth about yoga in America society uh, most, I would say most I know Christians that, that do the yoga exercises they, they don't think them as being religious in nature at all but more of a relaxation a stretching a different things like that that you in most corporations you'd probably get in trouble with having a prayer group uh, but, but 
So this karma yoga, this first way to salvation, is a very works-based thing. In other words, it's a, it can almost be a very prideful thing. You know, I've done good, and so I'm attaining things. I'm, I'm moving on my own. I, I've done good, so that's the karma yoga. The second one way is a way of knowledge. So the way of knowledge, which again would fall in that understanding, what we would biblically understand of, of Gnosticism, that salvation comes by knowledge. Knowledge, again, is a very mystical thing, like it is in Buddhism. It's not something you can grasp and say, I know. It's not even something you can express to somebody. Let me show you what I know. Because there's not a test. You know, again, our Western way of thinking is, how do you know I know something? Because I can pass a test. There's no test. It's not even, it's not even on their scope anywhere. But the second way, this, 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 this moves more into that metaphysics, into that mind thing, and into the yoga system where while you're doing your yoga, while you're going through those things, that, you, that again, you open your mind to knowledge. And knowledge comes from those who have ascended higher than you have. But again, as expressed in the yoga. The third way of salvation is by devotion. And you'll see the word there. I can't pronounce those words. So it's a different kind of yoga. And uh, uh, this is is not so much by... And you say, what do you mean by devotion? Well, let me just explain it this way. Karma is by action. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. Hopefully, for those who who have chosen that path, and you can choose your path, who have chosen that path, that what they're saying is, I'm always going to do good and, and I will ascend that way. The second type of yoga, the, the, the nana yoga, I call it nana yoga, yoga okay, it, it is by knowledge. So I am thinking higher. I have developed my mind. I have opened my mind and, and I will attain knowledge. I will attain my salvation. I will attain my ascension that way. But the third way is by devotion. And you say, what does devotion mean? It's not tied in with the karma in the sense that it's not by doing good or not doing good. It's not even tied in with the, with the mind or, or the knowledge one in, in, in trying to open your mind to attain those things. It is, I'm committed. I'm devoted to this faith. I'm devoted to the practice of this faith. Okay? It doesn't have to touch my life. It doesn't have to change my life. It doesn't have to change my thinking. I'm just devoted to it. By the way, sounds like a lot of Christians today. I'm just devoted. Doesn't change the way I think. Doesn't change the way I live. But I'm devoted to it. You'll see me there all the time. You'll see me doing all the right things as far as the religious practice are concerned. But when you see me out in the world... It may not change the way I think about things. I may think like the rest of the world. And it may not change the way I live because I'm going to enjoy life the way I choose to enjoy life instead of follow the Lord. Okay? So that's that third way. They think that their devotion to their Hinduism is enough for salvation. Again, I think there are a lot of Christians that way too. My devotion to the church, my devotion to my denomination, my devotion to the fact that I say I'm a Christian is all I need. I don't have to think differently. I don't have to live differently. All I have to do is have devotion. Okay? You get those three aspects there. Okay? To the Hindu, yoga is not merely an exercise program as it might be to many Westerners. It's a way of life. It is a spiritual thing to them. It's very spiritual to them. 
It's not just some sort of exercise that they do. And uh, they don't approach it that way. And we need to remember that. I know some folks that take it a lot further than just exercise. They go on retreats. They go in. Sure. Birthday. I mean, it's pretty serious. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we talked about karma. Now let's go on to the next thing. And this involves a karma. And that's a matter of reincarnation. This is the teaching of Hinduism. That you are basically on an endless cycle. You know you've been here before? Well, maybe not here, but you've been before. And some of their teachers would actually say to you, Anybody ever had deja vu in this room? You know what deja vu is? I know I've been here before. I know this happened before. I, I, I personally have those, those things where I, I think I know what's going to happen next because it seems like it happens sometime. They would say that that is a, a window that's opening to let you have a glimpse at a, at a past experience in your past life. Okay? Now, reincarnation is that endless cycle. That endless cycle. Until you reach the highest level. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Okay? An endless cycle of attaining to either go up or to go down. That's where karma comes in. If in this life you did evil to many people, in the next life you will go down. Okay? Even to the place where some extremes inherit, inherit uh, of, uh, uh, of Hinduism would teach that you, you can leave the human presence and become a lower form of being. He said that's an awful thing. But remember, you've got pantheism involved here also. So that they would hold that that lower form of being has just as much God in it as a human being has in it. Okay, It's just you've descended because of, because of your karma. So reincarnation, you live many lives. And the point of reincarnation and the point of karma is that you move through those cycles of life. Everything's a circle. Anybody ever see uh, The Lion King? Okay, let's just sing the song together. Okay, everything, and, and you can. To them, though, the circle here is not—it's not the Lion King, but but to them, that circle is an ever-continuing process within you that only ends in one place, and until you get to actually, until you get to that place, it never ends for you. So you could have many, many past lives. In past lives, you know, I always think it's always interesting in past life. People talk about, in my past life, I was this great prince or something like that. Nobody was ever, you know, the garbage collector in a past life, you know. Uh, yeah, but uh, that's their view on, the, on that matter of reincarnation. Until you obtain that last place, what is salvation then? They wouldn't use the term salvation. They would use the term, you would attain nirvana. This is a very. This term is used a lot, even in the New Agers and stuff. They would New Agers would would, would say something like, uh, "Until you are absorbed in the great mind, and make great consciousness." Okay, to them, Nirvana. This is this is the goal of the Hindu to move through all the cycles of life, the progression through the reincarnation, the progression through the practice of their faith over and over again in a different uh, expression of that through the different yogas that, that are displayed right here until they finally move to that place where they, they reach nirvana. And nirvana is the release of the soul to them from the endless cycle of rebirth. So you get you get off the circle, you get off the cycle. That's nirvana. Yeah. 
Then where do you go? See, now you're thinking wrongly because you think there's a place to go. There is no place to go. There is no place to go. That's the point. There is no heaven. There is no hell. Imagine with John Lennon. There is no heaven. There is no hell. There is no place to go. One of the Beatles, one of those was an inherit of a Hindu group called Krishna. Okay, George Harrison. And My Sweet Lord was written to Krishna. Okay, but he wouldn't call him Lord in the same sense that we would call Jesus Lord. We, we, again, we mistake that terminology because that's the way we think. They would call him Lord Christian because he was an ascended master. And he could give enlightenment to those who are part of that process. It's hard for us, it really is, even as I was preparing to study, it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around these things because I don't think like this. I, I think differently. I guess I think more concretely. Um, uh, if you ever get into a discussion with, with someone who is a teacher or practitioner of, of Hinduism or Buddhism, you'll never, there, there's no conclusion to come to. It could be one of the most frustrating experiences that you can have because there, there is no conclusion there. And you need, and again, where do they go? They don't go anywhere because there is nowhere to go. There is no God. There is no heaven. There is no hell. There is no salvation. There is no God. There is no Jesus. All these things are non-existent to them. Jan. Do we know of any who have I don't. I, I'm not going to say that there aren't. Do you know any that come out of Hinduism or Buddhism? Because I look at Hinduism, and at least there, there are things that we could address. Missionaries look for the door. There's a there's a little bit, but but you know what? These two groups are a very difficult mission group. I spent three years in Japan. It is very hard to reach those those who are involved in the in the Zen Buddhism over there, and also also the Shinto Shintoism over there. Very difficult. They don't think the way we think. So when you start trying to express that, you know, and uh, I don't I don't know of a great movement even in India. It's very difficult. Very difficult. I don't know. <laughs> they, they would feel at home there, yeah. Just from my experience and the way I've seen like the, the yoga and all that stuff coming about, is it possible that at least the Americanized form of that is the fastest growing religion in our country? I mean, I see so much. I just got to throw this out. There is such a debate on that. Uh, you know, I've heard of churches that offer yoga programs. Okay? You can even carry that to some, some debate on, on the, on the uh, Eastern self defense things from karate to taekwondo to, to those kind of things because there is, there is a facet even of those that, that belong that there is a spiritual element to that too but in the western mindset most of them don't think about those things but you know some of even the term the, the, the center I'm centering my being I'm, I'm looking within some of those things come out so it's, very, it's a very interesting thing and I think people decide where they stand on those things and, and uh, uh, I, I'm just, I know some pastors that I, that, I, that I admire in so many different ways that have no problem with it I don't see it uh, 
it really concerns me, let me put it that way. It really concerns me because there's more to it than just an exercise. There's more to it than just the physical. And again, in the Western mindset, we want to say it's just a physical stretching. It's just a, you know, this type of thing. But there, it, it, there's more to it. So I want to remind you that. Yes. In the second paragraph under Hinduism, Scott, uh, it says Vishnu, ten incarnations, and then in parentheses, avatars. And are they are they synonymous words? Could you expand on that? Well, an avatar. Well, just think of it on a computer thing. What's an avatar on a computer thing? I have no idea. <laughs> Y'all never on TV? I mean, not the TV on the computer. Okay, some of you are not on the computer. And, and an avatar. Let's say you're on a discussion board or something like that. An avatar would be a representation of yourself there, a picture, a. What am I trying to say here? A picture. It's, it's a picture. It's not, it's not just a picture. It's not a picture of you. I guess it could be a picture of you. But it, it, it is not you, but it is an expression of who you are. It's the same thing here with the Hindu. How do they, how do they show that? They would, they would show that by, by being like the gurus, the masters who have, who have attained. and. they concretely show that? Well, you could be an avatar of Vishnu is what I'm saying. If you, who you are right now, what you look like right now, if you were a, a, a practitioner of this and you had ascended to a certain place, some people may say, you know what, Maxine, she is, Vishnu is working through Maxine. She, you see Maxine, but who's really speaking is Vishnu. So they're pretty much synonymous then. Well, yes and no. I mean, the point is, the point is that, 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 that Vishnu the, 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 can, can present himself through different forms. You don't know what he looks like, but he can present himself through different forms. That makes sense. Is Vishnu male? I thought Vishnu was female, but I could be wrong. I'm not. I'm not even sure about that. I didn't. So it's a good question. So the term avatar, which says we have taken a term out of their their faith and turned it into a term that you. Well, think about yesterday. How many of you saw the haboob? You know, I grew up here. It was called a dust storm. But we don't. Use, we've never used that term before. It, 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 you know, I'm not trying to get into conspiracy thinking, but we are moving toward that one worldness, where and and they have they have found themselves into our into our verbiage. We we use these things and and uh, you know to, to understand where they come from. Okay. I still only call them dust storms. I don't care what they were. Yeah. Not just a storm. Who did attach these religions because it feels good and there's. Oh, there's a whole lot of reason. I mean, it's just like any of the other religious groups we've talked about. Many people are involved in it because that's all they've ever known. They've been taught this their whole life. Which, again, is what I want to remind us about our own kids. We want our kids that go through our church and learn to be able to express what they believe and why they believe it. And it can never be, well, that's what I was raised with. It should never be that. It should be they're able to say, you know what, I put my faith in Jesus. The Bible says this. You know, you don't understand what I'm saying? But most of them are, most people are trapped. Religious people, most of them are trapped. Whatever religious expression we're talking about. You know, the essence of all these religions is that they deny the Creator. Even though he's visible to everybody, they deny the Creator, 
And even though they say they don't worship a God, they are worshiping a God. They're worshiping a God of their own making, be it their own consciousness, their own whatever it is, but they are worshiping a God, whether they deny it. I used to have a young man that would come into my office and he'd tell me all these deep things that he thought that he he, he, he would uh, that he would just when he died he would just cease to be uh-huh. nihilism or whatever and he would just uh, he would go on and on and on I'd say I said weren't you a Baptist once in Texas and he said your family is Christian yeah I said you know what you are I said you, you just got deceived you went to some idiot professor at university <laughs> <laughs> the guy said the liberal baloney that you're actually spewing this back out to me yeah. so the fact is you're worshiping your God your own making yeah, and that, that becomes the truth. So let's go, let's go back to the scripture, and I'm going to close this out because our time is up. What does Isaiah remind us? Before he becomes really sarcastic about cutting down a tree and all this thing, God through the prophet declares some truths. The first truth that he declares that we, we must remind ourselves, it goes back to what Jesse said, is that God is real. Verse, verse, verse 6, back in Isaiah 44, God is real, and God is a redeemer of mankind. We do not believe in, God, in a God who just this mystical essence out there. We believe, the Bible teaches a real and a personal God. It goes back to Jesse, you said the Creator, the Creator God, the one who has established everything that is, and everything that is is because He said it is. Okay, He is real, and that's that, that's. You know, that's, that's a truth of our faith. The second truth that I want to remind you of, and we, we've looked at these many times before, verse 7 is what he says there, is that God is the source of all truth. In verse 7, that's what he does. He says, basically he's saying, I declare what is. What other God out there can do this? What other God can declare what is? If they can, run to them. And if you look at these Eastern mind things, I told you many times that they that they go after these ascended beings, these higher beings, and these somehow these higher beings are supposed to help them with enlightenment, the road to truth, the road to light, the road the road to their own ascension. And God says in here, I'm the one that does that. I'm I'm the one who declares the truth, and we know that He knows the end from the beginning. Why would any Christian go outside of God to seek any source of truth? Why would we? Yet we do it all the time. And it's easy for us, I think, sometimes to look at these Eastern groups and say, I just can't believe anybody would do that. But there's a lot of so-called truth even in the church that has nothing to do with biblical truth because we've gone outside. We deal with the, the matter of the Creator. Christians are so uncomfortable, it seems today, by saying that everything is what it is because God created it. He spoke it into being. That we've, we've conjured up what we call theistic evolution today. We don't want to be at odds with the world, so we say, you know what? God did it, but the way God did it was through the evolutionary process. And so you have two forms of evolution. You have atheistic evolution, that's without God. And then Christians who don't want to stand on what the Bible says teach theistic evolution. That is evolution with God. Neither one of them are biblical. The Bible is pretty clear on that. I mean, it just says it. And we either believe it or we don't believe it. 
So God is personal. God is real. God is the one who declares the truth. He's the source of truth. He is true. And then the last thing, look at verse 8 there. He again says this. At the end of it, he says, he says, You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? And here's what he said. Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not what? One. God declares that. That's why Paul in the New Testament could say, you know what? It's no big deal to me to eat meat that was offered to idols. You want to know why Paul said something like that? That was kind of a slap in the face to the Jewish people. But you want to know why Paul could say something like that? Because Paul was declaring, you can't offer meat to something that doesn't exist. There aren't, these aren't, these aren't, this isn't meat offered to gods that exist. It's not tainted meat. It's just meat that are offered by foolish people who are in darkness to this false god that doesn't even exist. So to me, it's just a piece of meat. But he did say, but if I have weaker brothers or sisters who would be offended because they haven't matured that place, then I won't eat it because I would not want any cause anybody else to stumble. You need to understand this, what the Bible, we need to understand what the Bible says. There is no other gods out there. They don't exist. They don't exist. Majority of the world would probably tell you that there, there are other gods out there. There are other saviors out there. There are other ways out there. That's, I mean, it's a whole message of it. God wants us to know there is no other one other than Him. These are truths that we hang upon, that we rest upon. And every one of these three truths that I just share with you are contrary, completely contrary, to the mind religions that we looked at today. Okay? If you're interested, you, 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 can do, you can just study for a long time on these things. Because, again, even the adherents of these things spend their whole life doing this, and at the end of their lives, they don't know any more than what they started with. Because you can't know. You can't know. That's what you have to know. You can't know. And if you think that you know, then you're not as enlightened as you actually think that you are. I don't know where you get around that. Jen. The one good thing is that our God is real, and I came out of a, basically, it wouldn't have been that far into sin or something. But, you know, I was enlightened, and I didn't have a God anymore. I'd outgrown God. And yet God knew what he was going to do with me, and he brought the right people who spoke only Christ and him crucified mm-hmm. by me. And so we need to do that with any of these people is realize that still we don't know when God's going to pull apart. Yeah, just, Same message to everyone. just remember what Paul teaches us. You don't have to get in long arguments with people, especially if you're dealing with this. He says that the gospel is a power of God into salvation. Amen. We go out and we share just what John said, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and trust God to touch lives. And He does. He did for you. He did for me. Who knows where we would be in our thinking, in our practice, in our religious life, if God had not touched us. And brought us to salvation. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for tonight. And Lord, in many ways as we finish this, we don't know a whole lot more than we knew when we started. Uh, but we do know that something's not right here. And we do know that you've called us to yourself. Thank you for being the personal God who loved us so much that you've redeemed us. And you've called us to be your own. Lord, let us walk in the in the in the real presence of your Holy Spirit and let that which comes out of our mouth be your gospel, your good news for all people. Thank you. Use us this week for your kingdom's glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
You might want to look at this up here. Cal might want to show you this up here. I'd like to see the prayer thing. Am I right? Am I right? It talks about the 